0: This is In the Studio with Michael Card. The studio is located in Franklin, Tennessee. I'm Wayne Shepard, and thanks for listening this week to our broadcast. We are on the radio together every week, Michael, but we don't see each other every week. It's nice to be back with you today, face-to-face. It's been a couple of months since we've been together, and it's good to see your face. And it's good to see Joe back. Joe's our producer, yeah. Joe Carlson, and Kenny in the control room there. So we've got the whole crew here yeah. to serve everyone today, and boy, do we have a program. I'm looking forward to our guests today.
1: Oh, Dr. Don Carson, who's... A just one of the most articulate biblical scholars alive, is going to talk to us about the Trinity. And speaking of articulate scholars,
0: Harold Best is going to be here, too. Oh, uh,
1: yeah, well, one of my heroes. One of, the, one of the most creative people in terms of aesthetics and art and uh, creativity. Again, alive. So we have two wonderful scholars
0: on the program today. And in our community segment, we'll be talking with teacher Paige Pitts on today's In the Studio broadcast. So a lot ahead. And we're going to hear some of Michael's music. Don't forget that is a part of our in-the-studio broadcast as well. Well, even though we normally reserve these questions for later in each broadcast, mm-hmm. I'm going to bring one up now from one of our listeners, sure. Michael, who emailed us. And by the way, we send a copy of the New Living Translation to listeners whose question makes it on the air here. So Diane will be getting a copy of the nlt bible here's diane's question i would like to ask for a biblical reference for the lyrics that says god the father had a human heart mm. now what song does that come from
1: i think that comes from No by the scars which is a song that speaks of the crucifixion the suffering of jesus and there's so many passages in scripture uh, that speak of the oneness uh, between uh, the father and Jesus, uh, Jesus speaks of it again and again, and it's hinted at uh, when we see Jesus, for example, forgiving sins. Uh, it's hinted at when uh, people will address Jesus as God. Uh, Thomas will fall down before him and say, my Lord and my God, and Jesus doesn't correct him for that. Uh, but I, I mean, obviously, I think that the main passage has to be John 1. Uh, 1. In the beginning was the Word, this which is clearly john's way of talking about jesus and the word was with god and the word was god mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it's so difficult to talk about the Trinity because they are three
0: and they are one. Well, we're going to talk more about that in just a moment. Yeah, this,
1: this is the perfect program to bring that question up. I'm certain that question will be answered better uh, when Don Carson talks to us about the Trinity.
0: We'll talk with our guest here in just a moment. But first, you need to sing a song for us here to open our program today, Michael. And I'm going to ask you to sing a song that I really love. It's called The Final Word. Here in the studio is Michael Card. You
1: ready? One,
2: me we use so very many clumsy words the noise of what we often say is not worth being heard when the father's wisdom wanted to communicate his love he spoke it in one final perfect word on flesh and bone he spoke the living luminous word that once his will was done and so the transformation that in man had been unheard to placing god the father as he spoke that final word he spoke the incarnation and then so his final word was jesus he needed no other one spoke flesh and blood so he could bleed and make a way divine and so was born Eternity stepped into time so we could understand. And so was born the baby
0: Michael Card, and the song is called The Final Word, an appropriate song for our discussion to come, Michael, because the song itself hints as to the Trinity, doesn't it? It's at least a good place to start, Mm -hmm. but we want to go much deeper than the song. We do, and we have the perfect teacher to Mm -hmm. go deeper with here today. Dr. Don Carson is with us, research professor of New Testament at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Deerfield, Illinois, a place that you've been to... uh, even recently,
1: I, I was just recently there, and actually uh, I prayed Don sick. I was so nervous. How, so, no, how did, I was so nervous about speaking and, and knowing that he was going to be in the crowd. I, was, I just sort of shared this in prayer, and lo and behold, when I got there, he was sick, and I couldn't help <laughs> but believe that I had some hand in that, but uh, so you need to open with an apology. I here do. today? Uh, Dr. Carson, and I'll, I'll, here I'm going to make the leap. Don. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if I was sick because or you were sick because of our, uh, my prayer. But oh, welcome.
3: I'm sure that if if there was a direct connection, it was because the Lord was trying to teach me further lessons in patience, perseverance, <laughs> uh, stability, and so on as well. So I wouldn't take all the blame. <laughs>
1: well, thanks. Thanks for uh, for joining us, Don. It's 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 just great to hear your voice again. It was good to see you even even uh, briefly uh, at Trinity.
3: Oh, the privilege is mine. Uh, you you obviously. Uh, were very much appreciated, both in your lectures and in your I- evening singing.
0: Thank you. Well, let's open our discussion about the Trinity here, Michael. Do you have a question, a profound question, to open with here uh, today? Well,
1: I'm afraid I don't. Uh, we were talking b- before we started recording about uh, the the confusion around this issue, and I have to confess that uh, I mean, I, I think I have some theological uh, things I could say about the Trinity, but I have yet to really integrate it into my thinking. Uh, in in any uh, you know significant way, and and as you said before, Wayne uh, Don Carson is the best person that I can think of to to help us understand this. So we'd like for him to you know, open the scriptures with us and 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 help us understand the Trinity better.
0: We'll all be your class today. Go ahead, Don.
3: Well, I suppose the first uh, thing to do is to summarize some of the biblical passages that uh, are at issue, um, and and then to begin to think through how the biblical teaching in this regard forms a coherent whole and and, and bears, bears on all of Christian thought and life and conduct. But let me begin with some passages. Um, the word Trinity, of course, is never found in the Bible. Mm-hmm. It's merely a later word, an abbreviation of tri-unity, threefold unity, to speak of the fact that in the Scripture, Jesus has the attributes of God and is worshipped as God, so also does the Spirit, and so also does the Father.
0: Does the fact that the word Trinity doesn't appear in the New Testament, does that weaken the case in any way?
3: No, no, because um, teaching finally does not turn on one word. Um, so that occasionally we attach a particular word to an entire doctrinal structure or to a particular way of saying things, and and then that becomes a shorthand way of summarizing a whole lot of truth Mm -hmm. so that some later debates uh, took on particular overtones that go beyond or distort the New Testament in some way or another. Uh, And they might be associated with the word Trinity, fair enough. But nevertheless, there are biblical phenomena that are actually there, biblical texts that are actually there that in some way have to be explained. Mm -hmm. There you have uh, Jesus, uh, after his resurrection, confronting Thomas. And Thomas does not simply say, oh my, you really are alive. Mm
4: -hmm.
5: He
3: says, my Lord and my God. Mm and um despite the best efforts of some to make the text say something different John 1 does have the eternal word not only being with god but being god mm-hmm. and and um and when jesus is is worshiped along these lines um he doesn't rebuke people the way let's say an angel does in in the book of revelation don't don't worship me just worship god uh, far from it jesus expects that kind of thing mm. and um and and perhaps most telling yet um when When Jesus forgives the paralytic who is lowered down through the roof in front of him, he says, uh, "My son, your sins are forgiven you." And the opponents immediately raise the question, "Who can forgive sins but God alone? Mm-hmm. now the the reason for that in in biblical thought and in theological thought is that the only person who can forgive anything is the person who has been offended.
4: Mm-hmm. I mean,
3: supposing let's say your wife were raped. How would she feel, how would you feel if I went up to the rapist and said, I forgive you? Wouldn't you yell at me? You don't have the right to do that. The the sin wasn't against you. But the point is that in biblical thought, um, all sin is, however many others are hurt or crushed or offended, all sin is first and foremost an offense against God. So that after David has done some really horrible things, he nevertheless can say, against you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. And, and thus, the Jews of Jesus' day understood rightly that at the end of the day, the only person who ultimately could forgive sin is the one who is offended by every sin and is most offended by any sin, mm. namely God himself. And there's Jesus before a man who, as far as we know, he's never seen before, lying on a paralytic's bed saying, your sins are forgiven you. And and, and it's, it's this sort of thing again and again and again in which Jesus comes along and has the prerogatives, takes the prerogatives of God himself.
1: And isn't that almost a prelude then to the cross, because the, the cross have, has its efficacy because this is the only one?
3: That's right. He's not only the perfect man, he's the perfect God-man. Hmm. So this is God's doing, God's commissioning. Um, but it is a God's bearing, too. So God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, as mm. Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians uh, 5. Mm. And um, and yet at the same time, um, we cannot imagine for a moment that God somehow oh, I don't know, shrunk to the span of a human being and was dissolved in the human being so there was no godness left outside him.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: You can't imagine that because Jesus is still praying to God. Mm-hmm. He's still praying to his heavenly Father. There is a distinction that the text itself makes. And then when Jesus is about to leave he insists that that he will send the Holy Spirit as another comforter. Another helper, another counselor,
4: mm-hmm.
3: uh, not in the sense of a count, camp counselor, but a legal counselor, a, a, another one who would take his place. An advocate. An, an advocate. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but the word is, is, is flexible enough that it can mean uh, someone who comes alongside and helps, too. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be in purely legal terms. Mm-hmm. And uh, in all of the different uh, approaches uh, uh, that John assigns, all the different roles that John assigns to the Holy Spirit, some of the functions are legal functions and some of them aren't. Um, but but then, having said that, he then says, with respect to the coming of the Spirit, my Father and I will make our presence known in the believer. That is through the Spirit. So you're you're getting these complications of a God who is but one, but who is complex, who is mm-hmm. not simple, um, and and uh, it's these sorts of phenomena multiplied over again and again and again and again in Scripture. And sometimes it's by it's by these sorts of explicit passages that I've alluded to. Sometimes it's it's subtler. For example, the opening uh, verses of, of Ephesians, in some ways, you can understand verses 3 to 14 as praise to God for spiritual blessings originating in the Father's plan, the Son's accomplishment, and the Spirit's application. And that sort of triumvirate of ways of thinking of God and His work show up again shows up again and again and again in, 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 in the New Testament writings. So that at the end of the day, if you didn't have a word for it, then you'd still have to invent one. Mm-hmm. And no better one has been invented than Trinity. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things that is said about the Son, for example, is that he does everything that the Father does. That's one of the arguments of uh, John 5, uh, 16 to 30. Now, there's a sense in which you and I may be sons of God, to use Jesus' language in the Beatitudes. God is the supreme peacemaker, and if we make peace according to the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, then in, in some sense we too are, uh, are acting like God and, and, and thus reflecting God and can rightly be designated sons of God. Mm-hmm. So he sends his son in his reign upon the just and upon the unjust, insofar as we're kind even to enemies. We show ourselves to be sons of God. That's Matthew 6. But I could never say that I can show myself to be Son of God by making a universe or two <laughs> whereas whereas John five sixteen to thirty makes Jesus out to be the unique Son in his pre-manhood-ness, that is, before he became a human being, in that, in that he was God's own agent in creation. Did the Father make the universe? It can be truly said that, that the pre-incarnate Word made the entire universe. Mm-hmm. So, so everything the Father does, the Son also does. does. Does God raise the dead? So also does Jesus, do you see?
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And so as a result, there is a, a comprehensive um, uh, reiteration of all that the Father does in, 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 in the Son. Now, of course, there are some complications and distinctions. One of them is this. Although all that the Father does, the Son also does, it is not true to say that all that the Son does, the Father also does. At least not exactly the same way, because the Son does become what he, did not want, what he once was not. He, he becomes a human being, though he retains his deity.
1: Does and, that hint to the fact that there's some, some, some sort of hierarchy?
3: Oh, yes, there is. There is a hierarchy in in, in commissioning and obedience. Always the text says the father sends the son or commissions the son or the like, and the son obeys and goes and does. Mm -hmm. But not only that, the son becomes a human being, and it is only by virtue of the fact that he is a human being that he can be said to die. Mm -hmm. Now, his death is uniquely valuable because he is more than a human being, but he has to be a human being. He has to be one of us. Hmm. And and thus the early church condemned what came to be called the heresy of patropassianism. That is the view that the Father died.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: That's not quite true. The Son dies. The Father does not. The Son is raised from the dead by the Father. So when you sometimes hear uninformed Christians addressing God today and saying, we thank you, Heavenly Father, for dying on the cross for our sins, mm-hmm. in fact, that's not quite Right, we understand what is being meant, mm-hmm. but strictly speaking, they have merely uttered <laughs> a, a phrase that would be judged one of the first heresies in the Church, mm-hmm. Pass- Passianism. So there are some things that belong exclusively to the Son by virtue of the fact that he, and not the Father, becomes a human being. Mm-hmm. But there is uh, no sense in which, in which uh, the, the Father is or does things that the f- Son cannot himself constitutionally do. And, and thus, um, and, and thus, you are looking at, at the fact that in this one God, there are three, it's so hard to find the right word, person-centers. Mm-hmm. The ancient church used the word persons, but they meant by it a little bit different, something a little bit different than what we mean today. Mm-hmm. Uh, personal identities within the one God. So mm-hmm. you don't want to slip into three gods. There is still but one God, and they are one in purpose and will and vision and commitment. And, and still one God to be worshipped, one God, truly God. Mm. Yet at the same time, this God is, is complex. And, well, uh, I'm and, going and, to
0: uh, pause just for a moment. For those who may have just joined us, uh, we're in the studio with Michael Card and our guest, Dr. Don Carson, as we talk about the Trinity. And, Michael, I know you have some questions, but, Don, I guess the question I have immediately is, I see why this is such a core belief then to Christianity, but if we don't get this right it can send us into all kinds of directions, spiritually and and theologically.
3: Oh, yes. Um, If you get this right, then you see a little bit, for example, of what is meant by God being the God of love from all eternity. Before there was a universe, the Father loved the Son. We're told explicitly the Father loves the Son in John 3, again in John 5. The Son loves the Father, we're told explicitly in John 14 and so on. And, and, and thus, the triune God is a oneness in love, who, and he serves as the archetype, the model, the, the supreme pattern of the way Christians are to live in oneness of love, according to the Lord Jesus himself in the high priestly prayer, so-called, of John 17. Um, uh, as as we are one Jesus is saying so may they be one and they also in us now obviously that does not mean we become part of godness or something like that but but there is this relationship of love father son and and and, and spirit there's a sense in which in which god himself is intrinsically relational mm-hmm. a- and for us to think of ourselves in lone ranger categories is 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 highly detrimental to the good of the individual christian and to the good of the body and um, and it contrasts sharply, for example, with the vision of who God is in, let's say, Islam, where they have it right, that God is one and sovereign, but it's hard then to distinguish him as much more than supreme will. Despite all of the emphases on God's mercy and so on, there is a loss in the richness of the Christian vision of God being intrinsically a God of love. God is love. And 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 uh, as well as being holy and sovereign and 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 beyond compare and and, and so forth. Um, moreover, it is precisely what allows his identity with us and uh, in in becoming a human being. That's the argument of Hebrews too. He did not he did not send his son to become an angel. He sent his son to become a human being. There has arisen a redeemer for fallen human beings, not for fallen angels. And, and thus, our very redemption is tied up with the distinctions that are drawn by scripture about the very nature of god and uh, oh much more could be said along those lines mm-hmm. all the time
1: we've talked about the father and we've talked about the son uh c- can you now uh piece in to this mystery the holy spirit and and i want to start uh, by asking uh, that passage i believe it's in john where jesus breathes on the disciples and says receive the holy spirit uh is that a hint to uh the character uh, who the holy spirit is
3: I'm sure it is, but it is such um, an enigmatic passage that one has to be careful about how how much one wants to build on it mm-hmm. um, b- because at the same time, uh, not only john hints but but Acts also makes clear that the spirit does not come in fullness on his people until Pentecost. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a sense in which this is some kind of symbol laden anticipation okay. that builds out of the uh, out of the uh, the, the words of the farewell discourse that are amongst the richest in the New Testament about how to understand the Holy Spirit and His work. He comes as Jesus' successor, and in a sense as a substitute for Him. Now that the Son is about to leave and return to the glory He had with the Father before the world began, mm-hmm. and 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 the Triune God's presence is mediated through this Spirit, a uh, world without end, and and Christians then are empowered by this Spirit. And he indwells us and is the very manifestation of the risen Christ in us and through us. And indeed, our witness in the world to the world is, 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 is taught to us, according to Jesus in John 15, as, as supplementing the Spirit's witness. It's not, it's not that we witness and the, the Spirit comes along and, and somehow empowers us. It's more that the Holy Spirit bears all kinds of witness in the world, convicting human beings of sin and righteousness and judgment, and we also bear witness. Mm -hmm. And and thus the the personal functions of God are ascribed to the Spirit. The Spirit is not reduced to the status of raw power or the like. It is true to say that uh, the picture drawn of the Spirit is not as explicit as the picture drawn of the sun Hmm. but i think that is in part because of i don't know what else to call it the essentially self-effacing roles of the spirit Hmm. in that the spirit is not only empowers us and indwells us but especially teaches us about christ the spirit points us away from himself to christ uh, the Spirit uh, the spirit points uh, out to us what uh, Christ taught, who he is, what he did, what he accomplished. And then within that framework, convicts human beings of our sin, illuminates us, uh, teaches us, uh, uh, instructs us, uh, uh, empowers us. But, but always with respect to the great turning points in redemptive history that were effected by Christ on the cross in fulfillment of the Father's plan. So it's not as if you have... Three person centers in the Godhead who are competing for attention or, mm-hmm. or, or running along three independent lines. There is one plan of redemption, one direction in which history is flowing uh, to its consummation. And, and there are somewhat thus distinguishable roles for the persons of the Godhead in, uh, in this unpacking of, of, of redemption history.
1: But I think the problem then, it just occurred to me, is that the, the, they are competing in some sense in my own mind. Uh in terms of a a sorting out because uh, i invariably i'm just looking at the passage in john 17 where jesus prays uh he'd been talking about um, uh, the holy spirit in that passage and unity and he says that he he asked the father that i myself may be in them and i immediately go well that's the holy spirit so the holy spirit is jesus oh it, it is god no god is and and I have and I think probably a lot of people have this sort of constant tension and dialogue going on. Is it because it's a mystery? Is it because I don't know? I, I'm still I'm still struggling with this.
0: And we have just a minute left for the answer. Done. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Isn't yeah. that fair? Well, I would
3: I would be uh, even more foolish than I am if I started saying that, that there is no mystery in the Trinity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but it is important to place the mystery where it properly belongs, so that we don't make the uh, the triune God more mysterious than he is, or mysterious in the wrong ways. There are clearly some points of real uh, obscurity, darkness, and so on that, that limit our understanding. How the eternal God can can become a human being in the mm. person of the Son. Uh, there, there, there are clearly some some things that stretch our imagination and our understanding when you speak of three. Person centers with the father receiving the prayers of the son, the son praying to the father. Uh, yet still the text speak of one God. Clearly there are some mysterious things. Yeah. But we should not, in any sense think of their distinctions in terms of competition, because that raises the strange specter of competing gods who are at odds with each other, or mm-hmm. vying for attention or the like. There is but one God, one plan. Uh, one direction to redemptive history.
0: And they're and in one perfect purpose, union.
3: In perfect union. So when Jesus prays in agony in the garden, not my will but yours be done, he sees precisely that it would be somehow the incalculable dissolution of that union yeah. if he were to go in some independent track, unthinkable and blasphemous.
0: Wow. We have taken in so much in the last few minutes. I only wish we had more time and uh, perhaps we can pick this up again. But uh, Dr. Don Carson, I, n- I know you feel strongly that we need to understand this biblical basis for the Trinity because we're hearing all kinds of teaching out there these days.
3: Yes, I'm afraid that's so. Uh, and it's, in all fairness, only one of several areas where many Christians probably are not quite as informed as an earlier generation was. And mm. and. We have focused so much on um, uh, on our reception of things or on our experience of things that we have sometimes lost the biblical core of, of, of what lies in, in, in God's revelation to us.
0: That's why we wanted to talk to you
1: today. Yeah. There, there are things that are true regardless of how I feel about it. Exactly them. right. Yeah. Well, th- well, thank you for the light that you've shown and, and what coming to know you as a friend is, has meant to me. Uh, Dr. Carson, uh, thank you for, for spending some time with us.
3: My privilege, blessing on you and your ministry.
0: You. And you are listening to In the Studio with Michael Card. We hope that you'll take a moment and send us your thoughts about the program as well as your Bible questions and prayer requests. Our email address is in the studio at michaelcard.com. And if you're new to this broadcast, why not stop by our website and learn more about this program and Michael's music and teaching ministry. To hear today's session again, stop by the audio archive or order a CD copy of this or any in the studio broadcast. We're easily found at michaelcard.com. After this break, we'll talk with Dr. Harold Best on the Moody Broadcasting Network. We are in the studio with Michael Card, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Welcome back to the second half of our program today. In our creativity segment, we'd like to start something this week here in the studio, Michael. We'd like to start a series talking about great art.
1: Yeah, this is the first of a series that I, I hope runs indefinitely, where we look at great art and great artists, and 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 try to make it clear why Christians need to open themselves and, and uh, invest themselves in in listening to great music and and reading uh, great books and looking at art. And uh, we have one of one of the people. I I mean, this sounds so over the top, but it's really true. We have one of the people that I admire most in the world in terms very of...
0: Influential with you, Has?
1: Oh, it? so much. Uh, Dr. Harold Best, and I'll call you Harold because you're my friend. That's right. Welcome That's right. welcome to the program, Harold. It's well, nice to have you back.
6: Glad to be, glad to be with you
0: again, Michael. This and, is a name associated for over 30 years with Wheaton College and the Conservatory of Music. Yes,
1: and Music Through the Eyes of Faith and a, and a wonderful new book uh, on inner varsity on worship. Uh, continuous outpouring, is, is that, is that it's what It's called Unceasing
6: Worship. Oh, they changed that's the title. The, yeah, they changed the title. It's called Unceasing Worship, and then there's a colon, and then the next part is Biblical Thoughts on Worship and the Arts.
0: Okay. Well, that information will be on our website for yes. this week's yes. program, so yep. listeners can follow up there.
1: And, and it's a book uh, I've been waiting, and a lot of us have been waiting for for a long time, so I'm so I'm so thankful that that's done, and, and we'll be out soon. But of, of the people that I know who are interested in art, uh, I don't know anyone who has, who has integrated an appreciation for art into basically every area of his life. And, and so we wanted you to be the first person, Harold, uh, to talk to this topic and to explain just why uh, we're impoverished as Christians if we don't open ourselves to the arts.
6: I, I think that uh, we, as Christians, we can't talk about great art without talking about god and his creation first because um when we look at what he's done and spend time with it we can't take it lightly it it isn't something the creation is not something that just entertains us that just uh, sort of washes over us it's just out there it is a profound piece of work that undertakes everything that we can think of and um if If we start with God as the as the person who creates deeply, and then continue with the idea that we have been created in His image, this can only mean that we've been created to go deeply.
4: Mm-hmm.
6: And uh, to, to do less than that is is not to live up to being created in His image. Mm. Great art, uh, for the most part, goes deep with whatever the subject material is. If it's music, it goes deep with music. If it's colors and textures and shapes, it goes deep with those. If it's literature, it goes deep with word combinations and ideas and textures. And it's the depth and the time that it takes to go deep that really, I think, comes to a Christian as a mandate. And so I would begin that way, and then we can go whatever way your questions might lead the, the discussion or whatever. But we've got to start with God, His depth, and then us in His image and our responsibility uh, to, to do likewise.
1: Well, I think a question that a lot of people are asking is, well, this would involve, uh, if t- in order for me to do this properly, this would involve a huge investment of my time learning about art, yeah. Yeah. learning about music. I mean, wh- I mean, why should I do that?
6: Yeah. Well, for the very reason that the art is out there, and, and somebody with the same flesh and the same blood that I have or that the potential listener or watcher has, somebody with flesh and blood did that. Mm -hmm. And I have a responsibility to join in with flesh and blood uh, in response to that. If, If Bach wanted to go deep with his thoughts about Jesus, or Brahms wanted to go deep with his thoughts about destiny, or Vermeer wanted to go deep with his thoughts about colors and textures, simply because he's a human being, I've got the responsibility to follow him and, it, in a sense, to chase him down and say, why did you do that? And and what can I learn from you? Now, sure, it's going to take time. Anything good takes time.
1: Well, doesn't that, and that almost sounds to me like a, a parable of then the way we're supposed to be open to the whole world. I mean, yep. that's why I should be open yep. to my brothers in general and to yep. the poor. And
6: yeah, you can't, you can't really uh, go out to the poor unless you go deep.
4: Mm-hmm.
6: Nobody gives, I mean, there are two kinds of people that give to the poor. One, do it out of a sense of duty because everybody does it, and they want to earn brownie points with the Lord. Mm-hmm. The other part of humanity does it by faith because by faith they have entered into the groaning and the moaning and the hurt and the travail of the human race. And you can't do that without going deep.
1: So I should be open to art for the same reasons that I'm open to the poor.
6: Exactly, because depth is a—to me, depth is a mandate. I've got to go deep by virtue of being made in the image of God. Depth is absolutely necessary, Mm -hmm. and I've got to go from milk to meat, whatever the medium it is, whether it's milk art, going to meat art, or milk giving to going to meat giving. Mm -hmm. You follow me? Yeah. I've got to get to meat,
0: yeah.
6: and uh, and great art is meat.
0: And Harold, I hear you saying that it's not just in the creation of that art, whether it's a musical composition or a painting or a sculpture, but it's in the appreciation as well. That same work and effort yeah. goes into the appreciation of the art.
6: That's right. It it's it's hard work. Now, when I I don't know whether Michael or uh, uh, whether you want to get into the difference between popular art and, and classical art. But I, I, I want the listeners to understand that when we talk this way, or at least when I'm talking this way, I'm not trying to bash popular art. Mm-hmm. I, I, what I'm, I'm rather trying to do is to, to assume that there's a conversation in all artistic activity that goes on between shallowness and depth. And it's the conversation that's important, going back and forth. Uh, Uh, You, Mike, you and I have talked about this before, but there's nothing wrong with something that's shallow. Mm -hmm. If if we took water, for example, pure water can be shallow or deep. Uh, Milk can be by the tablespoonful or by the jug. It can be shallow or deep, but it's still good. Mm -hmm. And so uh, when I say we need to go deep, I'm not saying that it's immoral to be shallow. I'm saying rather that it's immoral to stay shallow. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, What's in it for me, going deep, what's in it for me? I mean, what's the the outcome?
6: The outcome uh, will, I think, first of all, be a a sense that you have been a good steward Mm -hmm. of your ability to take things in Mm -hmm. and to chew them over and to digest them, and in a sense to be puzzled by them. To me, that's part of, of stewardship. Mm-hmm. Um, what's in it for me besides stewardship? Uh, the same thing that's in, in it for me to love my wife deeply. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, 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 am, I am satisfying, uh, I think I'm satisfying the Lord, uh, in a, uh, not in a works way, but in, in a way that pleases Him. I'm satisfying the Lord when he understands that i need to that I want to wrestle with stuff and that I, I want to tone up my sort of aesthetic muscles and my spiritual muscles and and all of those things there there's a there's a deep reward just in doing it yeah. and then the more you do it the more natural it becomes to do it, and then you'll be begin to understand the language of art and the language of music and and you'll be able to uh, do more than say, I appreciate this. You'll begin to say, I love this.
1: And, and hopefully you'll come to the point where you stop asking questions like, what's in it for me?
6: Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah that, that, you know, does it feel good? Well, if it doesn't feel good, I won't do it. Yeah. You, you'll, you'll stop asking those questions yeah. and you'll say, you know, there's something more, there's something more and I've got to get to that. And uh, sometimes it's not going to feel good. Uh, I remember as a music student, wrestling with new kinds of music and i i i simply had to trust the integrity mm-hmm. of my teachers and my and and, and the artists who were puzzling me so much i had to trust them until i was able somehow to understand that they were really saying something that i eventually could understand
1: okay harold we have just a couple of minutes left super practical uh where mm-hmm. do where do i start what art do i start with what music do i start with
6: well, you start with where you are. Uh, I mean, in other words, I, I I think the best way to go deep is to is to uh, find a certain dignity in in the state that you are presently in, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, and then you start pushing out. Let me let me give you a couple of quick examples. If, for instance, you you sort of like uh, sort of popular jazz, uh, sort of somebody like Kenny G. Mm-hmm. Uh, Don't stay there. Go deep. Go deep into jazz. Start wrestling with Duke Ellington. Start wrestling with with Count Basie. Go further into uh, uh, Keith Jarrett, Mm -hmm. uh, the great piano improviser. Just pushing, pushing, pushing. If you like classical music, just a tiny bit. Uh, and it, you can take in a little bit of or a little bit of Mozart, just go further and further and further with it. That means that you might have to listen to some other people and, hmm. and say, what's next for me? What, what do I listen to next? Which but, means
0: we might have to grow. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah.
6: <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, and you said it better than I did. You, hmm. We have to grow and we have to understand that it's not a quick fix. Hmm. Uh, you know, I've been living with great music uh, I'm 71 years old, and I've been living with it since I was a little kid. And I still, my wife knows when I sit down and turn the the, the uh, stereo on, she says, Harold, you've got that serious look on your face.
4: Mm.
6: She said, I know that you're listening in a different way than when you just let it wash over you. She says, I can tell just by the way you're looking that you're, you're really wrestling with mm. this stuff. It's it's real red meat.
1: And then I wonder then if, if at times she sees the same look on your face when you're listening to her. That's what we're shooting for, isn't it?
6: Well, yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. She's she's not only lovely, but she's my neighbor. Yeah. Uh, anybody should everybody should read Kierkegaard's works of love
4: mm.
6: uh, to find out that married love at its best is still not complete because it's still selective love. In other words, I selected Jewel, Jewel selected me. As, as deep as that love can go, it's not complete until I can see her as my neighbor, in which case I don't select. Hmm. The, the love is no longer selective. It's complete
0: completely neighborly. Mm, Dr. Best, uh, we are completely out of time at this point, and and just like there are unfinished symphonies, we'll have to leave this conversation unfinished for the moment, although you will join us again next week, and we'll talk more about this, and our series will continue on Great Art here, Michael. And we're going to start
1: specifically uh, with Bach, and uh, once again, Dr. Best is the best person I could uh, think of that we can start this discussion with, and you know, Harold, I think the point is we're always just starting these discussions. I mean, yeah. we're never going to tie a bow on them and, and say they're included. That's, right. concluded. They're all yeah, that's
6: right, yeah, That's
0: right. Well, Michael, you're the father of several children, and September is an interesting time of the year for kids. It's back to school time. It is, and uh, one of my kids goes back
1: uh, to a school called New Hope Academy, uh, which is a wonderful school uh, for racial reconciliation. Uh, here in Franklin and we have here with us the person who really initially had that vision and and was the force behind seeing New Hope Academy become a reality, Paige Pitt. So Paige, thanks for being with us. Oh, It's a
5: privilege. Thanks for having me. Yes,
0: indeed. It's nice to have you here, Paige. We're hoping that as people listen to this, this will kind of lift all of our collective vision about uh, education and Mm -hmm. our young people. So we want to hear your story of New Hope Academy here in Franklin, Tennessee, and what God is doing. So start at the start, I guess, is our invitation to you, Paige.
5: Well, the great part of all this is it's really God's vision it's not my vision. It's certainly something that's um, laid out in Scripture, that God has a desire um, to see His children live together in unity, and um, to be able to take the educational part of life and see that come to life in a biblical uh, way is really exciting. And It started really with a wrestling in my own heart over a Scripture of Proverbs 29.7 that says, The righteous care about justice for the poor. And I really wrestled with the word justice. Um, It seems that so much of uh, white suburbia, as we reach out and care for the poor, um, uh, seek to help immediate crisis intervention needs. But I really began to ask the Lord, what what would justice look like? And having an educational background, I began to dream about a school that um, would be a Christ-centered school that everyone would have the opportunity to attend.
0: Now, this is interesting. I don't know you well. We just met a few moments ago. You have a a son.
5: I do. I have a little boy. Who's how old? Only 22 months. All
0: right. And you have another baby on the way as we speak. So you did not think of this school to benefit your children. I mean, that's how a lot of schools get started, right? Mm -hmm. You know, parents come along and say, well, we need something for our kids. You had a bigger vision than that.
5: Exactly. I was... um,
0: You weren't even married,
5: were you? I was not even married. (laughs) So here I was, this white, single, young kid, basically, um, that God had called into urban ministry. I was was working in a ministry called Franklin Community Ministries. And so um, my friends, my relationships, the people who I was living life with were very different than me and um, lived in government housing... um, And as I was interacting with them, I began to really dream about how they, too, could have the opportunity for Christ-centered education. I knew that one day my children would have the opportunity, Michael's children can have the opportunity through homeschooling, through private uh, Christian education, but truly Uh, families in certain situations don't have those two options. Homeschooling is not an option because they're not an intact family or they're both working. And Christian education just financially is not possible. Mm -hmm. And so living life with with these people in, um, in, in a different place, is what really kind of spurred the vision. I also had a little four-month-old boy that came to live with me. He and his mother, a single mother, had a child out of wedlock. And when he lived with me for a year, I really was able to live in their shoes and see um, the struggles of what that world presents. And so that was another motivation to see New Hope Academy exist.
0: Well, we've talked a lot about the Empty Hands Fellowship here in Franklin, Tennessee. How does New Hope fit into that? Is it just... a official or unofficial part of all of well, this? I, I think the New Hope Academy was begun before Empty Hands
1: came together. I just think once Empty Hands started, I think it was part of the same move of, of God's spirit, just in a different arena. And uh, definitely Empty Hands has always been behind uh, New Hope Academy when we pray on... Uh, Thursdays,
0: New Hope Academy is always, you know, Mm -hmm. one of the things we pray for. I love the name, New Hope. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a a story there. I mean, something's behind that page. What is it?
5: Um, Well, truly, my heart in seeing this school uh, come together was to instill vision in the hearts of these children. Um, There's a little boy named Marquise that I was tutoring at the time, and um, I asked Marquise what he wanted to do when he grew up, and he looked at me and he said, play football, play football. I said, oh, that'd be great, Marquise. I'd love to be able to come watch you play football, but wonder if you couldn't play football, what what would you just love to do with your hands, your mind? And he thought, and he said, play basketball. <laughs> and I, I knew where this was headed, and I said, Marquise, wonder if you couldn't play sports, what would you enjoy doing? And he sat, and he looked at me, and he thought for a moment, and he shrugged his shoulders, and he said, I guess work at McDonald's. No. And, and not that working at McDonald's sure. has anything uh, derogatory. It's just he had no vision. It was a summit. of his vision. Right. He couldn't think of anything else as an eight-year-old kid who I could tutor and could make straight A's every day. But without a vision, as we know the scriptures tell us, you know, the people will perish. And so New Hope really desires to have Christ in education that instills vision and hope into all children. Part of the way God desired for us to do this is to not only have children from low-income backgrounds, to be an inner-city school, but to be a bridge between all of God's children, that that one, it would reflect our God as creator, creator of all people, and two, that would reflect the community that we lived in.
0: And that's what makes this different from most private Christian schools, right?
5: Right. Right. We have 50% of our student body that comes from low-income families, and that's an intentional, intentional mission.
0: But how do you sustain that?
5: Well somebody's got to pay pray. for it. <laughs> <laughs> um it is the commitment of the board of directors and the people that are involved at New Hope that we would pray and ask the Lord to provide Um, for this education to happen. And so we have to raise about 75% of our um, annual budget.
0: Well, I'd love to hear some stories, Michael, wouldn't you, of uh, what difference New Hope Academy is making in these young lives? Now, how long has the school been in existence?
5: We are just uh, beginning our eighth year. Okay,
0: Not a long track record. No. But you're seeing some things happen in children's lives.
5: Absolutely. And I think... Even bigger than just children's lives, what God is doing in the hearts of uh, families and in the community. I think one of one of the most exciting things that, um, as I sit back and watch and hear, certainly, is to see children be able to to interface with the scriptures and come to personal faith in Jesus Christ. And um, you know, nothing would be more important than to see these children come to love Jesus. And we also. Um, had a mother named Janet Mayberry that's had four of her children at New Hope. Some have graduated. She still has uh, two children there. And I remember talking to her one day and, and asking her, what, what is unique about New Hope or why is New Hope Academy important to you and your family? And she said, you know, we are able to be friends with people we would never be able to be friends with. Mm. And that, to me, was again God's Spirit moving through an institution to allow something that only He can do happen, because I do believe public school will provide integration, but um, private this this opportunity provides reconciliation, people to engage in one another's lives. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, I I have a a small. Small story, just from our our own experience, our oldest son went to New Hope Academy for a while, and he had a friend named Stephen there, and he kept coming home, Stephen this, Stephen that, talking about Stephen. Stephen and I did this. Stephen said this. And finally, for me, the natural question after a while was, is Stephen Black? And Will, uh, he was about seven years old. Will looked at me and said, I don't know. Hmm because it it was no longer mm. a category was not important and Stephen was black and they continue even though they go to different schools now they continue to be friends mm. but that i mean sometimes I think the biggest uh things that God is doing are reflected in small things like that and that right. little conversation mm. I've played that again and again in my mind to say you know something really is happening here that's beyond any of us
0: mm. Mm. I think what I'd like our listeners to walk away from today and what i'm gathering here is the importance of this vision for this school permeating the entire community. Mm -hmm. It's not just in the educational arena. Right. It's not just getting our kids taught reading, writing, arithmetic. Right. But it's life in totality that you're touching through New Hope Academy.
5: Right. Um, To me, it really is a reflection of the kingdom of God and um, hopefully... Um, A reflection of what our community Will continue to grow and and become That you have all different people From all different walks Racially, economically, culturally And it is just not Within our fleshly nature To move towards people That are not like us Mm -hmm. I think particularly in America And following the American dream We have really divided ourselves Without knowing it Even within our Christian uh, subculture And so when I look at New Hope Academy and I see the opportunity for children to come together, it naturally brings adults together. And my prayer is that God would use New Hope to grow these next generation of leaders not only to excel academically but to begin to understand a biblical worldview that truly is based in the scripture Mm
0: -hmm. of course we have people listening all over the country and they're not going to have the opportunity to uh, plug into new hope academy the way that those in franklin tennessee do what are some of the transferable we've talked about a number of them but let's be more specific about what people can do around the country to have this kind of vision for where they live
5: Well, again, I believe it's God's vision, and I believe He's planting it in the hearts of people all over the country and all over the world. And I think for people who are feeling that um, urgency and feeling that nudge in their hearts, that my encouragement is respond. Respond to the Holy Spirit and believe that God is able to do something that is immeasurably greater than what we could ever expect. And uh, sometimes we don't run after dreams that seem bigger than us, but I believe that's when the Lord really can work.
0: Well, Michael, we can certainly make the information about New Hope Academy available on our website. Yeah, just look on the on the website for a link to New Hope Academy's website, All right. and that'll get you there. Paige, thank you. You must have a dedicated group of staff and teachers at this remarkable school.
5: Yes, God has brought faithful servants, and we are so, so blessed.
0: And with that, we've come to the end of this week's edition of In the Studio with Michael Card. Again, there's a wealth of information waiting for you at michaelcard.com. Now, before we go, I'd like to remind you to send us your comments, Bible questions, and prayer requests to In the Studio at michaelcard.com. And to stay connected with all that's going on with the broadcast, as well as Michael's music and teaching ministry, come to our website, michaelcard.com. When you stop by, you'll be able to find out how to access the resources which we've developed. Here are just a few the Community Magazine, Michael's monthly email called From the Study, and the latest book and CD on the emotional life of Peter titled, A Fragile Stone. This complete program can be heard again through the audio archives on our radio page or learn how to obtain a CD copy or transcript of today's studio session. All this and much more at michaelcard.com. Our producer is Joe Carlson. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Thanks for being with us, In the Studio with Michael Card. In the Studio with Michael Card is a production of Community Broadcasting and the Moody Broadcasting Network.